If you could go back in time to any place or period in history and just kind of live there and observe without changing history, without having any complications for your life, where would you go? When would you go? If you're uh, somebody who's into, you know, uh, knights and queens and kings and Renaissance fair stuff, you'd choose the Middle Ages. Uh, if you are maybe are a military buff, you'd maybe choose a, a, a famous battle like uh, World War II, Iwo Jima or, the, or D-Day invasion. Uh, if you were really patriotic and into American history and it really fascinates you, you'd choose the Revolutionary War. If um, you are really into ancient history, maybe you choose to go back to when the pyramids were built in Egypt or when Stonehenge was built so you could come back and know how it all happened, how they got it done. Those would all be cool. But I think I'd choose, and I almost have to say this because I'm a pastor, but I would choose it would be the first century A.D. from about 30 A.D. when Jesus started his ministry for the next couple of decades, when the church began to grow and develop and, and, and move worldwide. I mean, it would be so awesome to see Jesus walk and talk and do miracles, to see his death and resurrection, to experience that, and then to see the early church begin to grow and take off and, and thrive. I mean, how cool would that be to see that happen? What would it have been like? What could we learn from the early church? Sometimes we kind of idealize them and hold them up as the, perf- the, the ideal, the, the perfection, the, and we, we need to aim to get back to that. What could we learn from them? What caused the church to explode from, from just a few frightened disciples to a movement that changed the world and, and human history and literally billions and billions of lives? What could we learn from them? What would translate to today? This morning we're kicking off a new sermon series based in the first half of the book of Acts, and we're calling it Devoted. The early church, as we look at the scripture, was devoted. They were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to scripture. They were devoted to sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel. They were devoted to each other. And that's, that's something to aim for, you know, as a church, isn't it? In fact, our mission statement fits well that description. We strive to be a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. Devoted to Jesus, devoted to Scripture, devoted to spreading the good news, demonstrating Jesus' love, devoted to each other. We do that, and we're going to have a massive impact for the kingdom of God. So let's, let's learn from the early church. Let's get started where the church got started. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Acts, where we read this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So a little background here about the book of Acts. The author of the book of Acts was a man named Luke. He was a a Gentile, a non-Jew. He was a physician and a a historian. As you read through it in the Greek, it's, it's a little bit higher, more advanced Greek. You can tell he was an educated man. And the former book he refers to in verse 1 is of the gospel according to Luke. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. Theophilus is the recipient of the book of Acts, which Theophilus simply means lover of God. So it's not a specific person. He's writing to a a general audience, those who love God. And he ends his former book, his gospel, with the the ascension of Jesus to heaven after Jesus has spent some time after his resurrection. And he picks up the account by filling in some details about that that interim time. Verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, his cousin John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power, verse 7, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What was the key to this, this group of people, handful of people, exploding and becoming the worldwide church? Jesus tells us the coming of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In the passage that was just read a few minutes ago, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in, in John chapter 14. In fact, from John 13 through 17, several times Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the night when he goes to the cross. And he knows the next day he'll be eventually leaving the disciples behind. And he wants them to know that they're not going to be left alone in their own, to their own devices, to their own power and resources. He says, I'm going to send a comforter, a guide, a counselor. And this counselor, this, this gift, the Holy Spirit's going to give you peace uh, that the world can't understand. He's going to give you, show you what's true and what's not. He's going to provide comfort and strength. And Jesus says he's also going to provide power. Power to go throughout the world to share about my life, my death, my resurrection, salvation, joy, and life. And this happens, he says, when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Now, as I said, sometimes we idealize the early church. Like, boy, wouldn't it have been awesome? You read about the miracles and, and people's lives radically being changed. And wouldn't that be cool? It's exploding all over the place. Wouldn't that be awesome? And we think, boy, it would be nice to get back to that. But we just, you know, we just don't. It's not possible. But the same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised the early church and gave the early church is the same Holy Spirit that he gives us. And what that means is it's, it's that, that when we represent Jesus and we go out, we don't do it alone and we don't have to do it in our own power. We have the same spirit. And so then Luke says Jesus leaves and he goes to heaven. And what do you do when a loved one takes off and you know you're not going to see them for a very long time? You stand and you watch, don't you? You watch the car drive off till you can't see anymore. You stand at the airport, you watch them disappear through security until you can't see them anymore. That's what they do. And then they go back to Jerusalem and they hang out together and they pray and they pray a lot. And then a business meeting breaks out. Peter says, hey, paraphrasing, Jesus chose 12 of us to be his disciples. We're down a man. Judas, remember, betrayed Jesus. He's now dead. We're down a man. So let's make it an even dozen again. And so two are put up for election and one is chosen, Matthias. Sounds like a, a church meeting, right? You get together, you pray, you make a decision, you elect People to offices, leadership. Is this when the church was born? No. Still not the church yet. It's a group of people who were with Jesus, who loved him, who are hanging around together. They're not sure what to do next. They were sort of the church uh, in utero. The due date's drawing near, but they haven't been birthed yet. Because the helper, the comforter, the spiritual midwife was needed. That's what's always needed. Otherwise, they're just going to be a group of people who had an incredible run with Jesus and are trying to figure out what to do next on their own. And it's the same for us as individuals and as a church. 
unless we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to birth something you know, new in us, we're not much more than a social club trying to do a lot of good. You ever have this experience? You, 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 you struggle to make changes in your life, something you struggle with, you just can't beat it. Or you feel like you're just going through the, you know, the motions spiritually. Or you feel like maybe going to church is not much more than checking the box. Those feelings can often be the result of relying on ourselves and not on the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit to get beyond ourselves, to become who he's called us to be, to do the things he's called us to do. And the Holy Spirit is what connects us deeply and powerful to God. Without the Holy Spirit, we're left just being religious people instead of being in relationship with the living God. That's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as a church. So what can we learn from the early church? It's only as we wait and as we pray, as we rely on the Spirit of God, that we see beautiful, powerful transformation happen. Let's take a look at what happens next in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So Pentecost, it's a term maybe we've heard a lot in church, but Pentecost basically means 50. In Greek it means 50. It was the 50th day since the, the Sabbath of the Passover week, which was, of course, the week that Jesus went to the cross and then rose from the dead. So we can do the math. If Jesus uh, was around for about 40 days after his resurrection with the disciples before he goes back to heaven, then the disciples have been hanging around and praying for about 10 days before chapter 2 happens. 10 days of waiting and praying and trusting that Jesus would do what he promised. That's often the way it works, isn't it? Before God moves in powerful ways in our lives or in our church, we wait and we pray and we trust in the Lord's promises and we meet together and encourage each other as we wait and pray and trust. And just about every big move, movement of God is like that. You wait, you pray, you trust, and you do it with others. And then God moves. And that's what happens. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was like a, a violent wind, loud and powerful. You ever been in a, we're in Kansas, many of you probably have the experience, you're in a, a storm, maybe close to a tornado or or. Uh, or heavy thunderstorm, and you can just feel the power. The house kind of moves and shakes. You can see the trees bending. And about 30 years ago, um, this past month, I believe it was, my, my parents, their farm was hit by straight-line winds of 100 miles an hour. Uh, we were living in Chicago, and we came back shortly thereafter and saw that the damage. And they told me how loud it was and how it shook the house. Uh, and there was a sense of something much more powerful. They were basically uh, helpless to do anything. All they could do was take shelter and hang together and wait and pray. That's what the disciples are doing here. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what's going on here? So the disciples who at that time were all from the same region, Galilee. They would have spoken the same language, the same dialect. They're, they're, they're there, they're waiting, they're praying. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They begin talking all sorts of different languages that they didn't know. And people from all around the area 
who were in, in Jerusalem began to hear those languages and gather and listen as they spoke the good news about God. What's going on? Well, a couple of things. One is, you go back to the Old Testament for both of them. One, remember the Tower of Babel story? Babel story? Where in Genesis, the people, uh, of, uh, the people began to uh, think that they're equal with God. They build a tower. They want to become like God and become, you know, get, get too full of themselves. And so God divides them and they begin to speak different languages. They're divided, different languages, different cultures. This is like a reversal of this. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel 2 where, where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all peoples. It's a reversal. The Holy Spirit's breaking down barriers and one, one people, one family of God out of many peoples. As we see next week, Peter preaches a powerful sermon and 3,000 people are saved and a church is birthed and the Holy Spirit is the one who does it. Not their wisdom, not their strategies, not their, their ministries. It was the Holy Spirit who does it. You know, when we were in Mexico uh, earlier this month, uh, I had the privilege of talking with a, a young man one uh, evening at, at the church we were at. And he hadn't been attending long, but he was really excited and he was just so full of joy. And um, he had struggled with addiction for a long time and no matter how hard he tried, he just could not lick it. It was affecting his relationship with his wife and with his family, his work, and, and he finally decided to give church a try. And it was there that he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and he surrendered. He basically said, I can't do it on my own. I give up. I ask you to, to do it, Lord. And the Spirit moved and he experienced freedom from addiction for the first time. And he said that the change in his life and marriage was remarkable. A little bit later, his father approached me and he got very emotional as he talked about his son's transformation. When we rely on our own strength, and take the Holy Spirit out of the equation. We are going to wrestle and struggle to make lasting change. But when we wait and pray and seek the encouragement of other believers, the Holy Spirit can do and will do amazing things in us and through us. What's the converse? Without the Holy Spirit, we're like sailboats on the ocean on a still day. We're dead in the water. No power to navigate. Impressive boat, all dressed up, ready to go, but no power. Without the Holy Spirit, we're like a a brand new car with an empty tank. We're designed to go far and fast, but we lack the fuel to go anywhere. Without the Holy Spirit, we're like a a world-class athlete who hasn't eaten or, or drank or slept for several days, weak, anemic, severely underperforming. But with the Holy Spirit, as we wait and pray, as we trust in His promises, as we do it together, God can and God will do powerful things. Things like the confidence and clarity to share the good news with others with power and effectiveness. Things like the patience and faith to wait for God to work in our lives or the lives of loved ones that we're concerned about. Things like the commitment and courage to stay faithful to God's standards sexually. Things like being sacrificial with our finances and trusting that God will provide. Things like finding freedom from sins and habits that have struggled, we struggled with for years. Things like radically and noticeably transformed lives. Those are things that only the Holy Spirit can bring about. That's what Jesus promised, and that's how the church was born and exploded across the world. 
Jesus promised. They believed the promise. They waited and they prayed. They did it together. They encouraged each other. And Jesus delivered on that promise. The same Holy Spirit is promised to us today. So here's Jesus' promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And your lives will be changed. Let's pray. God, give us the patience and faith to trust and wait upon you. God, send your Holy Spirit to us that you would transform our lives in our church. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to us that we would have peace and joy regardless of circumstances. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to effect change where change seems impossible. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to fill us with your peace and your presence and your power that we would be who you've called us to be and that we would do what you've called us to do. We trust you and we love you. We offer ourselves to you now, Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just